Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me for the first time, I believe, from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Di Billick. Di, how are you? You know, I'm just fine. I just, I'm feeling fine. I've got my dog here. We're hanging out. So that would be Lucius then, right? Harry. I have never had a dog. I've never had a pet. Ouch. Ouch. That hurts. That hurts me for some reason. I probably wasn't responsible enough for a pet when I was a kid. (laughs) All right, that's fair. So, Di, just uh, later on in this episode, I'm going to be talking to uh, Carol Mertz and Jordan Jones-Brewster. Uh, we'll be talking about two things. We'll be talking about their upcoming game, We Should Talk, and also the Pixel Pop Festival that they both help run. But first, Di, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Here we go. Oh, yeah, I think it's about time we got everybody and their stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Clap. <laughs> uh, so, Di, you know, uh, usually I like to have the guests pick just because I think it is a nice thing to do. But this time I was like, no, give me, give me, give me, let me pick. <laughs> <laughs> also, the last time I picked, uh, you ended up being pretty heated as far as your reaction to, <laughs> to the show that we watched. I'm not going to lie. It was very entertaining for me. That's true. I thought that the television show we watched might have been... We've watched some pretty bad shows for screen watching. That That's pretty far down there. You know, the old uh, DNJ, the uh, Ikdre, and the Ashjay. <laughs> you can't even say it. So now you picked one of your favorites. That's right. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at Cowboy Bebop. Season 1 of 1, episode 14, titled Bohemian Rhapsody, original air date October 14th, 2001 in the U.S. I'm not going to lie, I really liked how stylized it was, and that's coming from a person who had never seen it before, but had had recommendations across the board from all my friends. It was really fun. There's a lot of hype from people who watched Cowboy Bebop back when it first came out, and it's difficult for it to live up to that level of hype. Just, I mean, for me, it was like... One of the first shows I watched when I was like a teenager, staying up late to watch Adult Swim block on Cartoon Network. And I was like, wow, cartoons can like say swear words and have blood and like you can shoot people. Like at that point, to be honest, I'd already watched like wildly inappropriate anime when I was like eight. But Mm -hmm. Cowboy Bebop was like the first one of those that was actually good. Right. I have to admit, as far as Adult Swim, I was a huge home movies fan. And I would turn it off as soon as I saw Cowboy Bebop, and I don't know why. I think it was just, I felt like, and kind of like with this episode too, I felt like I was missing something about the story. And I felt like it would probably be more cohesive in my own mind if I had seen everything or known what was going on. So I was, I wasn't, I was entertained and I didn't dislike it at all, but it was, I was like, oh, this is a thing that I I know absolutely nothing about. I mean, yeah, you're pretty much right about all that. Like, uh, it's kind of like the dark souls of animes in that, uh, there's lots of details about the, the world they live in that are kind of doled out piecemeal throughout like the various episodes. And there's very little overarching plot that like ties everything together. And that's really fun for people who watch it all the time, for sure. I love things like that. As an outsider who came in in the middle, I was like, oh, there are a lot of things I don't know. Yeah, like even in this episode, which is mostly intended to be standalone, like there's details that I am aware of that you probably weren't that I'll fill you in on as we go, because they probably will lend a greater context to what the hell was going on. Perfect. So I guess we should just give like a general synopsis of the show for anyone who isn't already familiar. It's about these three bounty hunters, uh, Spike Spiegel, Jet Black, and Faye Valentine. They're also joined by Ed and Ayn, the Welsh Corgi, and they fly around in a spaceship and they 
are nominally bounty hunters, but usually they get into like wacky hijinks and like fix problems for people. And I I loved the corgi, and I really loved learning that Edward was a a, a girl. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love uh, typically masculine names for women. I think that's so fun. Um, I really liked the dynamic between all of them. The thing though is that they kind of gave away the plot in the the story arc like at the very very beginning when the guy with the weird thing under his eye came in and was like hey listen I know that this was it this was you this was all you and it was like yeah <laughs> so at the end when it was revealed that it was him I was like well yeah that's what I, that's what they already said it <laughs> so I, I feel like I must have been missing something at that point right well I think you're right that like they kind of solved the mystery halfway through the episode and then like the hat the rest of it was just them kind of like literally making it to that guy and that might not have been the best setup like they could have just gone like full mystery with it like who is this person right and i think in an, in another episode they do a better job of like accomplishing that mystery of like who is the culprit but here they kind of just give it away yeah it's not great <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it wasn't it wasn't without it was very it was super entertaining i had a good time watching it why don't we just yeah jump in like right to how it starts you they uh, open up on like uh, Spike and Jet and Faye like all uh, apprehending a bunch of people like that don't really have anything in common. They're all in different locations, and you find out that they found all these like accomplices for this big crime that just happened, but they didn't actually find the right person. All they found on them to prove that they were connected in any way were those chess pieces. And so like I, they are you know swapping notes about what happened, and I guess. This is like a kind of mundane hacking. I kind of like it for that, where there are these toll booths. There are these interstellar toll booths because like in this world, this is set in the year 2071 and interstellar space travel is possible. So you fly between planets and there are obviously, of course, there would still be tolls for moving around everywhere. And just the, the, the accomplices were setting it up so that when someone went through the toll gate, all their uh, funds from their bank account got stolen instead. Okay, <laughs> I was I didn't I didn't even catch that part. I knew that they were being robbed, but I didn't. It wasn't totally clear that that was what was happening. I knew that something was happening at that point, but along those lines. Di, maybe you noticed this too. I felt like the audio mixing on the episode, which I hadn't really thought about before, was really low. Like, everyone was mixed really, really low, except for Ed, who was mixed very high. Yes, I watched it on Hulu, and I thought it was just my headache, but uh, good. Good to know. <laughs> it was lots of trouble. Lots of trouble in, on Ed. Yeah, that thing about the bank accounts being stolen, like, the very first time you see inside their office where they're, like, putting all the papers on the desk. Yes. They're talking about it. It's like, oh, it's, all these people are complaining because all their money's gone. Right. And, I like, they don't. I think actually say it, but that's the reason that like the rival bounty hunter Jonathan is like so mad. It's like he got all his money stolen too. Right. See, I need a visual aid of <laughs> people going through the intergalactic toll booth and being like, "Oh shit, maybe I'm not such a smart person and I uh, don't catch uh, these auditory cues." <laughs> I need to no, see it. Yeah, I don't know that that's that this was their strongest effort in this episode. So I, I don't blame you whatsoever. So like they figure out that the accomplices didn't know anything, that they're like in a pool, all their information, that it all leads back to the Gates Corporation, which is the company that runs all the warp gates, basically that let people move between the planets in our solar system. Jet goes to the actual like corporate office of theirs and does like the, you know, the very, uh, like sly thing where he takes his cigarette and he puts it out in the the plant. Yeah, in the plant. <laughs> but it's actually a hidden microphone. Right. Didn't and, catch uh, didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I didn't know that. Did they say that? Well no, they yeah, they didn't say it, but God they, damn it. Should... I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. There's context there though, like at the one point, the executive from the gate company is like, oh, you're probably like ISSP or something. Jet was a former police officer. So like he's kind of more uh, experienced with these kind of like uh, handlings and stuff. 
Okay, great. Missed that. Wonderful. I swear to God, I watched this episode. <laughs> so, but that's where they learn the name Chessmaster Hex. And they do yes. the very anime thing where it's like the, the one person says Chessmaster Hex. And, Je- and then Jet's like, Chessmaster Hex? <laughs> then we uh, cut away and we come back. And meanwhile, while this has been going on, just because, you know, it's a screen watching and the point of screen watching is to watch television shows that feature like video games in them while this has been going on ed has been playing online chess with someone in the background and uh she's been doing a pretty good job i mean is she the best opponent that he's ever had or is she utterly insane you want to talk about confusion this was a part where i was confused myself where like she does the weird thing where she's like checkmate oh nope and then she does something else right was that her was that her being like oh, I could end the game right now, but actually I'm going to just like prolong it because I'm having fun. That's what I thought. But then they kind of, then she's been up for days and days and days. I don't, I, I, it's slightly confusing, but I mean, it could be a game of cat and mouse to her. She could be wanting to prolong it as long as possible. But yeah, I was, uh, I was like, okay, well, she's a prodigy. Got it. At the end of the episode, it seems like maybe she should have tried to prolong it a little while. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after that, uh, well, while that's going on, Jet is explaining everything about Chessmaster Hex and how he's this former engineer and computer programmer that worked on the gates, but they kicked him off the project because he exposed safety concerns. <laughs> and now, presumably, he's come back to get revenge. He's getting revenge, and uh, he's having a really fun time doing it. Also, he's older than dirt. So, I mean, I don't know. I was kind of eye-rolly at that because they kept talking about his age. It, it does look like from the photos they show that he is already in middle age. Like, he's, like, showing that old MPB while he's, like, progressing through the photos, it looks like. Right. So, it would, like... 50 years have passed since those photos were taken. So, you know, he'd be pretty weathered veteran (laughs) at that point. Sure. I I guess I just, but as far as like revenge goes, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't understand what, I mean, I I didn't, it didn't seem like he was directly ever going to use people's money though. So I was a little confused there. Revenge, fine. But like, I don't know. So I think the idea is that for the original plan was that he would be caught because like they even kind of like mentioned, oh, he's making it really easy to find him. Right. And that like being caught would allow the whole scandal to be exposed for him being fired because there's something else that happened in the Cowboy Bebop universe that you actually it's not even necessarily brought up a whole lot if you watch a lot of the episodes but this is probably as good a time to mention as any so the gates right Mm -hmm. way back when the gates first were uh built and started being used one of them destroyed the moon that's a big deal it is a big deal so (laughs) destroying the moon caused like 75 percent of earth's population to die and even 50 years afterward like there the earth is basically uninhabitable because there's still like moon rock and space junk falling down to it all the time very very important <laughs> that's a good detail to know so like that's where they're talking about with uh the secret at the very end where it's like oh he was like that's what i assume is like the plan was he would get caught but that would expose the scandal of the fact that the gate company never like took proper safety precautions when the accident happened that they fired the guy who was trying to like make things safe and you know that would cause a disaster for everyone right. involved well it did it, it, it are we ever going to find out if it did expose the, the the company i think the answer is no like that that everyone decided that it's best to let sleeping dogs lie but i but my satisfactions <laughs> Well, maybe you're just Mick Jagger because you can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, so to the actual game itself. Uh, yeah, we should probably cover that. It looked really fun. You know what it reminded me of? 
that one time that uh, in our charity stream where we tried to play the game that you put the cards and the video camera onto it and then I guess it transfers that is supposed to transfer that information onto the console and, oh my god yeah and it just didn't work it kind of reminded me of a working version of that <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a very apt comparison yeah the eye of judgment they they were working with better tech than the eye of judgment there <laughs> a little bit uh it seems so fun you know i would absolutely 100 percent play chess in a situation like that also that was really kind of ahead of its time for being what did you say 2001 I know that we were kind of like the online gaming was a thing, but a holographic chess set that seems like, you know, pretty intuitive that I would play that. I would get down on that so hard, especially if I'm just randomly battling people. That seems so fun. I think you're right. Yeah. And it was neat, like that they have like the projection of the other person's pieces and you have the actual pieces and like, they were saying that the pieces themselves kind of act like memory cards yeah. or like, or like maybe like an invite, like you put the piece down and it like invites another specific person to come play with you. That's so cool. I would be so down for that. Uh, I feel like that. Uh, I don't know. That was pretty intuitive technologically. Yeah. I, I would like to see that. That's kind of like, uh, I think Microsoft's HoloLens kind of does that where it's augmented reality. Now I, I could see, you having a thing where like you wear a visor and you have your own chess pieces and then it like displays the other person's chess pieces on the visor. That would be so cool. I'm into it. After Jet gives the whole explanation of who Chessmaster Hex is, Ed is just like, oh, I'm playing Chessmaster Hex right now. And that's awfully convenient. But then they get in their spaceship and they fly off. And this felt like either they needed a little more time for padding the episode or they just wanted to have like a little bit of action because mostly nothing had happened action wise up until that point so they like fly their spaceships around they each each of uh spike jet and Faye have their own spaceship and it looks different so it's like i think a thing where like oh we want to show you off these cool designs because maybe you'll buy toys of them later <laughs> right they fly the spaceships around they get out of the spaceship they wander around this like ba- space junkyard like that's kind of how it was described and then eventually they find Chessmaster hex Though it was weird, like getting to that point where they're like, they're cutting between Ed and Hex playing the chess game, and like Spike and Faye like wandering through rooms, and they're just like, "What is this?" And I think they, they say like, "What is this?" like six times in a row, or something very right. close to it. Like you know what it is, you know, you know why you're there. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I I still don't have anything really negative to say about it, despite uh, these. Uh, things that I'm saying, but yeah, I it's it, it led to some it led to a little bit of confusion because I'm like, do they know who they're looking for or do they not? Don't they know what they're doing right now? They have to know what they're doing right now. They mostly know what they're doing. They seem to have a a lead on it, and they they finally find the dude. But they, you know, they, to their credit, they're like ask questions first, shoot later, and they uh, figure out pretty fast that the hexes. Uh, declined a bit mentally and seems to only really know how to play chess at this point and is having trouble taking care of himself. Poor guy. By the way, those other three old dudes that show up, they're like recurring characters. They're like gag characters. Okay. I thought that they were just uh, kind of filler to be a... I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) know. It felt like they were kind of being semi-mouthpieces... I didn't really know what was going on at that point. I mean, I knew the general gist, but I was like, there are a lot of characters in this. It always just harkens back to like when you're writing a, a book or a screenplay, they they always tell you to cut down your characters significantly and to only have the ones that you need on there. And I was like, these people have to have some type of job either after or before this that I have no idea about because they all seem like the same character. I think their job is just to show up in random places all around the solar system whenever Spike, Jet, and Faye show up because like they <laughs> they appear in a bunch of episodes, just kind of like off in the background talking about nothing in particular. Oh, yeah, that would drive me a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chekhov smoking gun characters. Speaking of guns, at at this point, Jonathan, <laughs> the uh, the rival bounty hunter who has been kind of following them throughout the whole 
episode shows up and that's where I think you're supposed to realize he had all his money stolen by the hacking. Right. And like he just kind of goes crazy and starts firing off a grenade launcher in the in space and so then Spike kicks him and that's the end of Jonathan basically. <laughs> right. I mean that's what I do when I'm upset. I just start to launch shit into space. Jonathan's dispatched and then uh, Jet, they cut back to Jet talking to the corporate bigwigs again and that's where you can, they talk about how the Chessmaster Hex wanted the revenge and that they if you knew about like the gate calamity then this is where it would all kind of fall into place where like Hex tried to warn them that things were going to go bad then they went bad and they offer to uh keep silent about Hex and like all the stuff that went on as long as they don't harm Chessmaster Hex. Right. And that turns into a really sweet deal for the company because it seems like in the, the guy, next scene Yeah. <laughs> he he kicks the bucket. So really there's no consequence whatsoever for any of the bad things they've done. And you know the the guy who's trying to have karma happen to this situation i mean he's gone he dies what's his bird gonna do everyone's sad it was sad yeah like ed is gonna be wondering what happened to his friend like they played one game of chess and now she's never gonna hear from him again ever to be fair that it was like a four day long game of chess yes does that that's still count? true does that still count as one game i mean yeah i mean sure i think it, it has to right you know <laughs> I mean, it is very relatable that someone would spend like four days nonstop playing a game. Oh, hell yeah. For sure. So, you know, not 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 too off base there. But yeah, that's where... as a younger person, it's just really hard to rip yourself from your games. That's where the episode ends. If you're curious, Di, the next episode is talking about Faye's backstory. And it turns out that uh, Faye was actually a victim of the very first gate accident that happened like 50 years ago. Whoa. But, you know, we'll we'll figure out why she's alive and, you know, looks like a 20-year-old. Another discussion. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I am interested in that. Until then, though, uh, Di, you know, we have to uh, review this episode like we always do. And just like with any video game, we'll be reviewing it on a score... A scale of 6 to 10 on uh, accuracy, on condescension, and on entertainment. So, Di, why don't you lead us off with a rating of 6 meaning completely inaccurate to 10 meaning lifelike accuracy. How would you rate the online chess game shown in Cowboy Bebop Bohemian Rhapsody? I'm going to go with a 9, mostly because... So, again, the mechanics seemed really fun. The thing that was... The element that was missing when I was watching it and thinking about accuracy specifically was it doesn't tell you who you are playing against. And a lot of times that is pretty important because if you're having an online virtual chess game like that, a lot of times you would want to play with people, you know, or if you make friends with a stranger playing it, you would want to play with that stranger again and then they become a friend, right? So the anonymity of the situation seemed slightly unrealistic to me. Otherwise, I could see it being a real game. So nine. Maybe Nintendo designed these online services. Yeah, <laughs> probably. It's impossible and just very labor intensive to get the person's chess code. Like the pieces are basically amiibos. Could you right, imagine exactly. selling yeah, chess that's, piece amiibos? That's exactly what I was imagining as I was watching it. <laughs> that's why I said it like so down. It's it's very like real life. The kinesthetic people who are stimulated by kinesthetic response and they have to hold something and touch something while they're playing. They are they they are the biggest people, the biggest audience to appeal as far as this is concerned. And I am one of those people, and that's what I want. Nine. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> hmm. Eight. I think it was uh, pretty good. And I I mean, it's a chessboard. You, you'd have to try pretty hard to not accurately represent a chessboard. 
there was a typo, I think, at one point in the uh, screen. I noticed it. I think it said like P-L-E-S-E-N-T instead of P-R-E-S-E-N-T, where it was like present peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I got to knock it down for that. And I don't <laughs> think we're... <laughs> oh, I, I'm, you know, very particular about spelling, let me tell you. And uh, what else? Um, I don't think we have virtual reality chess pieces quite yet. So, I mean, I think it's like an idea that could happen, but it's not like accurate to current real life. Maybe if we get to the year 2071 die and it turns out we do have these kind of chess boards, I'll come back and revise this grade. I was just going to say that you might have to. Also, I'm still working on my enormous table battleship with electric shock nodes (laughs) (laughs) in real life. So you're going to eat crow then too. I mean, are we going to play for like, you know, our favorite charities and like pick our favorite nations of the world to, to, you know, target? $64,000 is Japan. I said it. (laughs) Next up is condescension. If you found this to be completely non-condescending towards gaming and gamers, give it a six. And if you found it to be supremely condescending, give it a 10. I'm going to go with a six. No condescension there, like you said earlier. Uh, it that that mimics a lot of weird places that we've been, which is it's very hard to put down a game, and especially if you're competing directly with a certain part of a game or a person, and it's just really heated. There's no way you're gonna walk away from that. <laughs> you know, like when you're playing an MMO and you like don't want to go to the bathroom, but you're like, I am going to piss on myself in my clothes. <laughs> and you're like, no, I can't. I can't put it down. I can't stop. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty realistic. So I, zero, zero condescension, meaning six. Yeah, I think uh, I'll go with a seven. Like they, they did want Ed to stop playing the game to help them with solving the case. They eventually did respect her wishes but not before she like hissed like a cat to get them to to leave her alone (laughs) but i so you know i don't know that character so i don't (laughs) i thought that was normal actually that is normal for ed (laughs) okay ed Ed is a uh you know fairly comic relief character and then lastly entertainment die if you found this to be completely unentertaining give it a six and if you found it to be supremely entertaining give it a ten i'm gonna go with a seven here mostly because i asked more questions than were answered so i feel like um every every step along the way of filling in blanks to the story just brought up more questions and because i was asking those questions i was less entertained but i did really like how stylized how they chose to stylize it and i enjoyed watching it um, but yeah, just too many questions. <laughs> in 2071, would you reconsider this grade if you've then watched the entire series and like have more context for everything? Of course. Yeah, I was just missing context for sure. I, did, I don't feel like uh, this is I don't think like this is one of those situations. You know how in a sitcom setting, everything resets and you're able to watch any episode with zero context and it's all kind of explained. There are some pitfalls to that because then you have to jam the all of the uh, context down everyone's throat and that's just like takes you out of the story. In this case, it feels like context is needed and uh, then confusion is the other side of that coin. So yeah, if I, in 2071, when I watch all of Cowboy Bebop in its entirety, I will, uh, I will revise. Okay. Well, as long as we have that locked down, we'll, we'll reconsider in another 51 years. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. For myself, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I can go much higher than a seven myself. I'd go with an eight. Like I just really enjoy Cowboy Bebop and, uh, I can't be too harsh on it, but this is not one of their best efforts. It's like kind of a thin plot and they don't really nail either like intrigue or like they don't nail a lot of intrigue for like either the mystery or for the character they're introducing. So it just kind of happens and it's over and it's like, okay, well, I guess that's over. So right, it was a, it was a good effort and it was good. I mean, like in, in theory, it was a pretty good storyline. Just wasn't hashed out enough for me personally. 
Well, yeah. Uh, hopefully this will not discourage you from trying Cowboy Bebop more down the line. Just, it, you know, give, it, it give won't. It, it won't. But until that time, we do have to take a break here. And when we come back, I'll be talking with Carol Mertz and Jordan Jones Brewster. We are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet are Carol Mertz and Jordan Jones Brewster. The two of them are developers on the upcoming game We Should Talk and also are heavily involved in the Pixel Pop Festival that takes place in St. Louis, Missouri annually. So first of all, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on the line. Thank you for having us. It's exciting. Yeah, I'd love to be here. I think just maybe for people who are unfamiliar with We Should Talk, could one of you or, or both of you Give like a, a one to two minute summary of what the game is about. Yeah, so uh, we should talk is a game about choosing your words wisely. It is a short form narrative game where you actually craft sentences in response to the in-game characters. And by crafting, I mean that each sentence is broken into two or three um, disparate parts that you can actually swap out to create completely new but still coherent sentences within the same structure. So you might say, we should snuggle tonight, or maybe I'll come in later. And it's all in the same kind of like response frame. It's hard to it's hard to describe verbally rather than visually, but I highly recommend checking out uh, weshouldtalkgame.com to see the trailer and actually see what I'm talking about in action. I definitely uh, was able to try the demo recently. And as part of that, uh, the first thing that happens is your player character goes like, hey, what's this pink box on the screen? And that <laughs> kind of lays things out a little bit. Now, I do want to uh, go back a little bit in time here because I, I can't speak for all of the team members on We Should Talk, but it seems like the two of you uh, may have met in New York City while you were both at New York University. Is, is that where you originally met or was it under some other uh, circumstances? Yeah, we met at NYU, at the NYU Game Center, actually. So Jordan and I and the other four uh, members of the We Should Talk team. So the other folks on the team are Francesca Carlato Leon, Nobonita Bomic, Kat Aguiar, and Jack Schlesinger. Uh, so all six of us were actually MFA students at the Game Center. And that's where this game started, is actually in a class called Studio 2, where we were basically given a prompt, a challenge, and said, hey, find something that speaks to you that you want to solve in a game. And we all came together and said, we want to figure out how to create a game that allows us to address relationships and approach relationships and recreate a systemic kind of like a mechanic for a relationship that isn't the same transactional stuff that we're seeing constantly in games like, you know, Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley and Animal Crossing and like all of the RPGs you ever play where you just hand somebody a flower and suddenly they're your girlfriend. In this case, we wanted you to really thoughtfully compose a, a conversation and really connect on a deeper level than just gift giving. Yeah, we wanted to remove ourselves from... Um... The idea that you give something the right thing, you say the right thing, and immediately you, your boyfriend points max out and then you choose the right person and wanted to find something that was more true to life. Are you saying I can't just give the bartender a bunch of like books and like crafts I find on the road and then max out our relationship? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Rude. <laughs> Now, now, Jordan, you are acting as the narrative designer of We Should Talk. And one thing that I believe also contrasts what I've seen so far of the game from other games that involve heavily uh, dialogue-based options is even if those games are attempting to capture a relationship, there is more of a, uh, I guess I would say, like macro element to the discussions where it's, uh, I am a good person or I am a bad person. And in We Should Talk, because there's so much fungibility with the different disparate elements of the sentences, like uh, even with just referring to the people you know by their first name or by a pronoun, then you can get into some real nuance there. And with that in mind, what I wanted to ask you is, like, how does that 
influence how you're able to tell your story when there's very tiny ways the story can change from moment to moment. A big part of that was uh, creating characters that people will respond differently to. For example, the main protagonist has a partner at home. And what we found that is that a lot of players that interact with that partner have an immediate uh, interaction with them and know how they feel about them. And it's never the same thing because uh, people seek different things out of their relationships. So when they're interacting with all the, all the characters in the game, the range of options that they have to them kind of cater to the different ways that a first impression can, can impact someone. So it allows for a lot of room for going in different directions while still staying true to the different stories that can come out of a traditional general conversation that you have with someone at a bar. Now, I want to read a quote to you uh, that was originally going around circulating on the internet from uh, John Ebinger of Bioware. Something like, this is the quote, I'm sorry, something like 92% of Mass Effect players were Paragon, and we put a lot of work into the Renegade content to Frowny Face. So even accounting for the more nuanced choices, would you expect or hope for maybe even an even distribution of the uh, different conversation pathways? I'd like to think that um, in this game, there's no like good or good person or bad person routes. It's just the routes that exist as a result of how you're feeling. So there are many different, there are nine endings to the game and there are different ways to get those, those nine endings. But the most important part is that the way that you get those, you could be like generally positive person and still get a range of things that happen to you. It all depends on what you're saying needs to have an appropriate uh, response to the people that are going around you. One thing that we've noticed when playtesting this game is when people kind of talk their thoughts out loud, a lot of times we hear, I don't know what the right answer is. And that's the thing that we want to hear. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach responding to various things. But there's so many different, and they all differ so slightly that a lot of times players are just like a little bit paralyzed because they don't know how to respond. And we feel that that actually recreates real life pretty well. Like when you're in a difficult conversation, you're like, I don't know what's going to upset you right now. I don't know what you want me to say. So it winds up being a game largely about emotional management and trying to have some emotional intelligence as far as understanding what it is that you need to say in order to accomplish what you want to do. So some people approach it and they say, you know, I don't actually like this woman who is my partner. I think that it would be better if we end things. And so they're actively trying to break up with her, not necessarily out of malice, but because they feel like it's not the healthiest relationship. And they think that, you know, both of them might be better off going their separate ways. And so they're actively trying to figure out like, okay, how can I let her down, but let her down easy? Where there's other people that are just actively like, I want to burn everything to the ground. I hate this woman. I hate all these people. I just want to be as mean as possible because I don't like these conversations, which is also fine. And then on the entire flip side, there's people who just, they want so badly for everyone to be happy. And those are the ones that we see spending the most time playing because they just, they think so long and so hard about like, what is the right thing? And really, you know, inside scoop, there is no right answer. I mean, there's there's different endings. There's obviously like endings where the relationship ends on better terms than others, but we designed it in such a way that there are not right answers necessarily. Is there any particular choice without spoiling too much that you're surprised when players make it? Like uh, for example, I opted to order grenadine straight from uh, the bartender in five shot glasses. Five tiny shot glasses. We want people to pick five tiny shot glasses. We want people to pick any possible option. There's really, I don't know, Jordan, have you noticed any, any things that you're like, wow, I really didn't expect anybody to go that route because. Personally, it's not the choices that I see that I'm surprised at. Cause I, I really did write them for all of them to be like likable choices, but Sometimes the responses to what player, what the characters are saying have surprised me. When we released the demo and uh, there were some people streaming or talking about it, there's a one small interaction involving um, a talk about going to the gym with your partner that uh, has a moment that everyone that I saw had a very specific negative reaction or specific 
humorous reaction to that I, I wasn't ex- expecting to get uh, such a pop. And that was nice. I don't want to spoil that moment for people that experience it for the first time. But that was surprising to me. Yeah, the, the surprising aspects of the narrative and like of player response are definitely more of a, a real response. So w- I remember one time we were playtesting with a group of middle school kids and they were all playing as basically as a, a spectator group where one person was controlling it and the rest were watching. And how excited they got and like how much they were like if somebody dissed somebody in the game like the like just like the like the overwhelming emotion that we'd never seen before because most of the time when we're playing we're playing with you know we're play testing with adults who are generally more reserved or they're playing by themselves and so at most they might you know mutter a response under their breath or chuckle at something but hearing these like unabashed like unbridled responses that were just pure emotion was overwhelming to us it was so cool that was probably my favorite day in all of development seeing those interactions yeah it was really cool but the game is rated M for mature <laughs> yeah <laughs> Did you have to like censor or redact anything for the middle school children? We did not. <laughs> <laughs> we did warn them, like we warned the, you know, the teachers and stuff because we hadn't actually gone through the ratings process yet and so we didn't know what the rating was. We assumed it would be T, but because there's use of alcohol in the game that automatically put us at rated M. Uh... Um and so, yeah, and so we, you know, we we alerted the teachers and we just said just so you know, you know, there's there's themes of alcohol and and sexual and things in this and you know most kids who've played it have been totally fine sometimes they're like they said damn and stuff like that but you know the the themes I think are handled in an adult way but not in a quote-unquote adult way if you know what I mean (laughs) so more you know a lot of kids I think are smart enough and aware enough socially aware enough to understand this is just kind of a slice of life but you know at the same time they weren't my kids and I don't know if they came home talking about it or not I mean generally the M rating is a bit of a blunt instrument and covers a lot of ground like we should talk we'll share the same rating as the most recent Call of Duty game right yeah and there's no there's no guns or exploding heads or anything and we should talk it's just some sexual are we breaking an official story here no exploding heads and we should talk as far as I'm aware yeah That is an official announcement exclusive to So Many Bits. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look forward to Polygon next week. Cool. Now, uh, one other type of response you were able to get recently is, uh, I guess we'll say, uh, making chicken salad out of a situation when the Steam Game Festival came along and was allowing people to demo We Should Talk on Steam and just... How was it for each of you to be involved with that, to see the game in a, in a measure of completeness online and people reacting to it? It was wonderful. We were so grateful. So what the reason that that Steam Game Festival came around was because of the cancellation of GDC due to the coronavirus. And the reason why we were curated into that festival was because we had been selected to be a part of the Indie Mega Booth at GDC. But obviously with the cancellation of the conference, the Indie Mega Booth was not going to happen. And so we'd put in a lot of, you know, time and money and effort to make this possible and to use that opportunity to help bring awareness to the game, to help get feedback on the game, to find people who were interested in talking about it and writing about it. And then suddenly when GDC was canceled, we were like, oh my God, like we and so many other indies were going to get left out to dry because our entire launch plan centered around utilizing these events as opportunities to find press and connections and opportunities to connect with platforms and things like that. It's like, once that's gone, it's, it's devastating. And so what Indie Mega Booth did was they partnered with Valve to produce the first ever uh, Steam Game Festival. And they also featured, um, I think, games from The Mix and games from Day of the Devs, I want to say. So several other GDC curations were, were featured uh, in the same setup. And 
it was phenomenal for us because I mean, we, we had to slap together a demo last minute because we, you know, we had the demo that we take to events, but we didn't have something that was ready for prime time, so to speak. And so I'm like sitting there at like 10 PM the night before, you know, <laughs> slamming out this, this sudden, you know, two, two conversation demo and going through the steam submission process for the first time. And it was this very sudden overwhelming feeling of like, oh my God, something really big could be happening. And when it went live, we actually wound up with thousands of wish lists just within those few days, which was incredible for us. It's, it's, I think that that's something that we wouldn't have been able to achieve without the help of Valve and Indie Mega Booth. I'm glad to hear, yeah, there was somewhat of a positive outcome and, and congrats on pushing out a, a new version so quickly. I <laughs> I know, Carol, you've been talking a bit on Twitter about kind of the need to rally behind indie games that are launching because of the dearth of opportunity to market these games now. And both you and Jordan have your own game festival that is dot, 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 question mark for this year, uh, right. <laughs> Pixel Pop Festival. Could you both talk about how you are working to market both We Should Talk and perhaps additionally the Pixel Pop Festival during this uncertain time? With We Should Talk, we're just looking for whatever opportunities we can find in online curations and online seminars and things. Like I just got to participate in a women in games seminar where we got to present our present our projects and then, you know, talk about our experiences. Things like that I think are really invaluable right now. Like I mentioned, like without having these in person events, anything is better than what you know what we can do on our on our own like any sort of group collaborative effort for online curation and online visibility is so utterly important for indies because with without without that kind of thing like nobody knows who we are nobody knows what our games are and we have very little opportunity and chance to connect with press platforms and players the 3 Ps and so so especially online curations that are hosted by folks with high visibility like steam those those are just so so valuable as far as pixel pop goes we we don't have anything official to announce yet but it is something that we're working actively on we think that it's super important like i said to have these online games opportunities the problem is that right now i mean all of us are in-person event organizers. That's what we know. Nobody on our team has substantial experience doing online events and doing online festivals and online conferences. And it's a giant unknown. These things are exhausting and expensive and tough, take a lot of time, take a lot of energy. And we, we have sponsors often for, you know, the the main in-person event, because we know how to communicate the value to a sponsor. The difficult thing right now is like, how do we shift our entire model? How do we get people to help support us so that we can give, you know, artist fees and speaker fees and make sure that our team is compensated for their time and make sure that we have the equipment that we need and what equipment do we need? So these are the questions that I think are plaguing most event organizers right now is like, how do we do this? It's scary. And we haven't fully answered all of these questions yet. Once Pixel Pop has some modicum of an answer, then we'll come out with a plan for 2020. But as of now, we haven't made any announcements about any online focus. We haven't even made any announcements about, you know, our in-person event, which we still have the dates right now are set for September 12th and 13th. But, you know, with the way that the the environment, like the global and the national environment is shaping up, we have no idea, you know, what that is actually going to wind up looking like this year. Jordan, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think the thing that you hit on the head was uh, the fact that every event organizer right now is uh, kind of going through a moment of uh, reevaluating what the identity of their events have to be as a result of the kind of global pandemic that we're going through. Like Carol was mentioning, a, a large task that we have is just kind of figuring out what that means for Pixel Pop Festival as an organization, as an event moving forward. And as we have those conversations, you'll find that we'll make an announcement when we're like ready to show the world all that. 
I think the big thing is just pushing toward, yeah, a strong online community where people can support each other. And that is something that we are actively in the process of working on. Like we we want to we want to create a space where our entire community can come together regardless of time of year, like whether or not it's the weekend of Pixel Pop. We want to give people a space where they can get feedback and connect with each other and share opportunities and, and experiences. So keep an eye out for that this year. It really hit home for me when I saw that the Portland Retro Gaming Expo got canceled. Mm. And that was a couple weeks ago now. And that's currently scheduled for like late August. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, it really kind of feels like now the uh, the PAX East that we attended was like just this last moment before a door shut or a bubble closed or whatever metaphor you use for things closing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even XOXO, which is the Portland Indie Games Conference, they they announced their cancellation. I think that that was scheduled for early September. So wow. people are really bracing for what, you know, basically the, the, the events environment is going to be looking like throughout the next year. What I personally fear is that we're going to see that, and this is um, a thing that will affect everyone everywhere, but also just in this particular sphere, like the smaller festivals, I, I mean, I, I don't know the details behind Pixel Pop, so I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn, but just like some of the smaller festivals are going to have trouble spinning up again next year. And meanwhile, Read Pop, who does like, you know, packs and stuff, they can, they're in a position that where they maybe they can take the hit for the year mm-hmm. and then they'll come back and they'll just have a bigger sphere of influence than they did before. And there'll be less space for smaller independent operations. I think that there's there's something to that. Um, it there especially for events like I know that XOXO said this specifically in their cancellation was that basically like they run that event as if it's their full time job, and so they're going to need support in order to be able to build it up again. We run Pixel Pop Festival largely on a shoestring, and so we're you know we do rely on sponsors and we do rely on support. But we are structured in such a way that the biggest thing that we rely on is our venue. <laughs> so we we partner with a university that provides our space for us, which without that, we would absolutely not be able to survive. And I know a lot of folks are not able to cancel yet or are trying to avoid canceling until there's like a state of emergency declaration, because otherwise, you know, you lose so many fees you you get you get hit with cancellation fees and you know contractual obligations that you can't you know claim force majeure until there's a state of emergency declared sort of situation and that is enough to make any event go bankrupt i do want to cut in here real quick for both of you if you don't mind i'm just going to roll on with some questions that are related but not like strictly about we should talk or pixel pop okay okay uh, so just, uh, Jordan, first of all, I wanted to ask you, uh, because looking at your uh, LinkedIn page, you've been recently working with Volition on upcoming games as a writer there. And I was wondering if you'd been able to apply any of the lessons you learned from We Should Talk to your work there. I find that the the work that I did for We Should Talk was some of the most like satisfying writing I've ever done. And also at the same time, the, some of the most difficult writing I've ever had to do. Writing, some of the choices are expressed in a way that need to express the same sentiment, but need to be written slightly different or written in a way that can be broken up. And the challenge that I had making some of those choices sometimes, some of the most mundane choices that you could think of, were sometimes could range from five to 20 minutes of me figuring out how to express it on in that game. And because the, the writing I do on my other projects is a little bit more straightforward, a little less puzzly, I find that um, there's I'm able to work faster on other projects and like proofread easier and just my skills as a writer have improved because of the the technical challenge has been removed from my workload when it comes to writing on other projects compared to We Should Talk. I, I do have one other question about something I researched uh, about you while I was just getting ready for this interview. You are a karaoke wizard. Yes, I am quite the wizard at karaoke. I see. I see. So, what's the go-to song? It's like the knock it out of the park song, no questions asked. Uh, you said go to in my mind immediately went I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. Just any <laughs> boy band late to late nineties, early two thousands, any of their hits, it's a go to. Everyone's gonna come around. It's gonna 
it's going to gather the people, gather the community, and then you just knock it out of the park no matter what. Although, Jordan, I got to say, if you and I are in the room together, what's our go-to? Oh, it's going to be a whole new world. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And uh, anything in the in the lab, Jordan? Anything you're like, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to make sure I got all the lyrics locked down. And then, then I'm going to go for it maybe a few months down the road. I really like the song Pony by Genuine. But not all karaoke, um, not all karaoke environments are ready for that type of energy. So it's just something to keep in the back pocket and just take it out when, uh, when I'm feeling like the energy's right. <laughs> Carol, if I may pivot to you, uh, there's uh, another game you worked on that I, I had the privilege of trying uh, last summer at Bitbash. Can you talk a little bit about Hellcouch for the listener? Yeah, so Hellcouch is a game where you use your butt to release a demon from a sofa. <laughs> All right, there we go. We didn't even need 15 seconds. <laughs> no, so so Hellcouch is uh, what's called an alternative controller game. So that means we, I worked on this project with Francesca Carlotilion, who is also a collaborator on We Should Talk, actually. But this was a project that we worked on together at the NYU Game Center under the advisement of Bennett Foddy. And it is a game where we installed sensors under each cushion on the sofa and connected those sensors to uh, an Arduino, which also controlled lights and a fog machine. And that Arduino was hooked into a computer, which controlled all of the game logic and the audio. So ultimately what you got was a demon possessed sofa. And it was, it's a lot like, and I'm actually sitting on one of the only two existing hell couches in the world right now. <laughs> but what it is, is it's it's kind of like a little bit like hot potato or musical chairs or something where each of the three cushions has a light indicator as to whether you should be sitting on it or standing up. And by following those light indicators, you perform the sacred butt ritual cooperatively. This is a couch co-op game. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Um, where... <laughs> So yeah, so you're you're you with one or two other people are sitting and standing up on this sofa. I like to call it exorcism exercise because ultimately you wind up doing a lot of squats and by the end of 90 seconds you either released the demon from the sofa or you have failed. But regardless, uh, you get a stream of fog cuz I hacked a fog machine and you <laughs> and you get, you know, some declaration from the demon inside the sofa, which is actually voiced by yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's a it's a it's a really fun, just purely purely joy filled experience. I can affirm it is a joy filled experience. <laughs> I'm glad you got to play it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Then my final question, and I have this for both of you, and I guess arguably it's a three part question. So it's really three more questions for each of you. <laughs> uh, I feel like all of us have this knowledge of Pokemon that we all share either through the Game Boy games, the DS games, uh, the cartoon, or more recently, like Pokemon Go. And so I, I like to conclude all my interviews by asking everyone who's on the podcast, if you could have one Pokemon as a pet, one Pokemon you could be, and one Pokemon you eat, which would these be? I can answer this first because I have answers to all those already, which is... Weird. I think my Pokemon pet would be Eevee. Eevee's my favorite Pokemon. Eevee represents unlimited possibilities as a Pokemon in my eyes with the different ranges that an Eevee can evolve into. So I just love an Eevee. And this base Eevee is just cute and like a little pet that I could sleep with and cuddle. Mm -hmm. I would like to be a Ditto because I feel like Dittos also represent unlimited possibilities. And I could just end up being who I am as a ditto using my ditto powers, which is a little bit of a cheating answer. And one thing I've always wondered about the Pokemon world is that I see them eat burgers, but I've never seen a cow. So I assume no that they're eating, <laughs> I no think they're eating a Taurus. Or a milk <laughs> So I think I'd like to eat a Taurus because I think that'd be high grade Pokemon meat. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I, I appreciate the depth and the reasoning behind those answers. And uh, Carol? Yeah. Well, I, my pet would be Bulbasaur because she's number one. She's she's always been close to my heart, and uh, I just I really want to have like an indoor succulent garden that walks around and like screams. Barba! I would be Mew for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> she can fly, and also 
is psychic and isn't as scary looking as Mewtwo. Although maybe I would be Mewtwo because I like I like the idea of being scary looking too. I just feel weird. I feel like that's cheating because like, is Mewtwo really a Pokemon? Yes and no. Like, I don't know. It's like... I think Mewtwo grapples with that same existential question. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe that is appropriate. Maybe like, that's who I, that's who I am, but I would rather be Mew. (laughs) And then as far as Eaton goes... Well, I guess it depends on how I'm feeling. Because, like, I was thinking Miltank, but also, you know, Bulbasaur might make a really good salad. You can oh, also, yeah. yeah, choose to eat the uh, the byproduct of a Pokemon. So if you wanted to, like, eat the shed leaves of a Bulbasaur, that's okay, too. I mean, like, that's that's that seems like the most sustainable solution, right? Is just, like, have a pet and harvest from your own pet. It sounds disgusting, but also sustainable. Does like a Squirtle make its own water? Does it have to resupply from another source? Is is the water it generates, uh, does it have like other bacteria in it that a human couldn't digest? These are all questions that we should answer in a follow-up podcast. Yeah, deep questions. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, just uh, before you go, I do want to ask, first of all, where can we get updates on We Should Talk? And second of all, where can we get updates on what you each are doing in the gaming industry? Get updates on We Should Talk. You can uh, wishlist us on Steam. That's probably the best way to get alerted when it comes out. And it also does us a huge solid because it helps It helps just get us a little bit more visibility on the Steam storefront. The other option is you can follow We Should Talk on Twitter or on Instagram. So that would be at underscore We Should Talk. You can also get more updates on Pixel Pop Festival. You can sign up for the newsletter at pixelpopfestival.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Pixel Pop Fest, and you can follow me at Carol Mertz on Twitter, or find me on my website, carolmertz.com. And you can follow me at Versified on Twitter, V-E-R-S-I-P-H-I-E-D. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's fun. And we are back from break. One more time, big thanks to Carol and Jordan for their time. Uh, Keep a lookout for We Should Talk. It'll be out sometime in the future. I don't think I... They didn't tell me when it exactly was coming out, and I don't think I can really commit on their behalf to anything more conclusive than that. Sounds great. I'm so excited. Before we go, though, Di, uh, there is one thing we have to handle here, and it's a... You know, I've I've let it rest for a bit. I felt like... uh, felt like maybe it's time had come and gone but we're gonna bring it back die it's time for bill's magic minute yes yes so uh <laughs> i'm gonna roll a d20 here three times and that will determine how much time i have to talk about this week's topic which is the state of the new magic set icoria layer of behemoths perfect so i'm gonna roll the die right now Twenty-five. Twenty-five seconds to talk about Icoria. And then, you know, die just hit me with a three, two, one, and I will get going. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Icoria has been pretty cool. I was a little skeptical at first, and it makes me wonder if I just have the wrong idea of how power creep works in a card game. Because like the cards in this set are way, way better than some uh other older sets and the same has been true of Theros and the same has been true of Eldraine and maybe that isn't so bad for the long-term health of the game. I mean it's, it hasn't been going on that long. <laughs> you know I think I was on the uh, path to a pretty trenchant insight but uh oh well. I really always want you to finish those <laughs> but this is your non-minute. This is your idea to give yourself 25 seconds. Or however, or whatever you've rolled. What's the lowest you've rolled? Like eleven? Uh, eleven sounds like I, I don't know the exact <laughs> lowest amount, but it has been. I've had it like between ten and twenty seconds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like on average, I should be getting like thirty seconds every time, you know. But it's rarely worked out that I've gotten more than thirty seconds. It feels like anyway. It's, it's disappointing because I always want to know the information. I want the information, but you know. We're just going to have to watch you stream on Wednesdays.
Wednesdays? Thursdays. Wednesdays is magic, ma- magic, right? I would be happy to talk about that. Uh, but first, Di, before we go, I should ask, do you have anywhere you want to talk about uh, where you can be reached in social media? Uh, wow. Instagram, Di Billick. Twitter, Di Billick. DieBillick.com for nothing at all because I'm not updating it because we're under lockdown and that's all. As for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games twitch.tv slash so many bits Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, most of the time lately on Wednesdays, I've been playing Final Fantasy VI and working through a playthrough of that. Thursdays, I've been doing some uh, multiplayer stuff with Dai and others. We just finished up a round of Castle Crashers, and I think we're going to start a new game pretty soon. And, you know, because it has been a lockdown, I have been streaming on the weekends as well. Usually, uh, Magic the Gathering there, you can go and check out the VODs for Vintage Cube Draft and some Ikoria Draft there. If you want to find other great nerdy podcasts like mine, you can go to nerdalogs.com. So many bits is there alongside a bunch of other great ones. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer.